comadres y compadres. Welcome back to For Real, For Real. On today's episode, we have a very, very special guest with us. Do you want to say hi? Hi, it's Amir Yas, y'all. What's up? <laughs> yeah. So welcome, everyone, to Amir Yas. This is, um, like, he's such a delight. I don't even know what to say. I'm actually a little starstruck. I'm so uh, appreciative and thankful that um, you agreed to come on for real, for real, and record with me today. We chatted a little bit beforehand, and I just want to tell the people a little bit about who you are. You have such a long resume, so um, I'm not going to go too much into it, although I would love to. I first came across Amir uh, about a year ago on TikTok with uh, his videos on corny ass celebs he has worked for or with. Um, alongside. He is a former former Hollywood publicist, along with a famous TikTokers with over 20 million views or something like that, right? Or is it way over at this point? No, yeah, it's gone into the like 30s and 40s. It's crazy. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean, you put out so much content and it's not just content that it's like, okay, well, I have to put something up and let me just put this out there. And it's quality content. And not just that, I mean, it's hilarious, but also very thought provoking. You put anything out there from um, anything happening with the Bravo universe, any of these celebs going crazy out in the streets. And then also something that is very near and dear to my heart. You talk about um, a lot of what's happening uh, with with our youth and this being Pride Month, uh, people coming out and supporting, especially our, our younger people and um, with their struggles. And you put a lot of videos out there. And those are some of the ones that break my heart, but also make me smile. You recently put out a video about a young man who watched Cruella DeVille. And then mom was recording him. He wanted makeup like Cruella and his auntie um, did up his whole face and everything and how happy he was. Oh, I love him. And, He's so cute. Yeah. Oh, and just to see you cry and just the joy to hear mom and aunt not questioning this young man and just doing something that made him happy and seeing him so happy. Those are some of the videos that just, I mean, as much as I love the housewife drama, those that's some of the content that you put out that just, I love it. I appreciate that so much. And you know, you know, what's funny is I was actually talking to my friend today and her son's three and she was saying, you know, he likes the color pink and he likes to play with his sister's toys. And listen, you can do all of that stuff and wear makeup and wear a dress and paint your nails and still be straight. Look at, you know, like look at rock stars, they're all straight and they're, they're expressing themselves, you know? So remember that like sexuality has nothing. One of my exes actually was dressed very, very masculine, was very masculine, had no quote unquote, like stereotypical gay traits at all. And he was gay. So just, I think sometimes parents need to chill out and supporting your son wanting to express himself with wearing a dress when he's like nine doesn't mean he's going to be a drag queen when he's 30. Like we need to stop associating these two things together. Yes. And then didn't we recently, and recently, I mean, in the last couple of days, we had a, a, a um, an active, or it's not active, right? It's like a current football player that recently came out. Did you hear about that? I did. And you know, you know, his name is Carl and he's actually a very like open Republican Trump supporter. And all the people are saying that he's so brave, but what we really need to know with that is another example of whiteness and straight acting and it being kind of celebrated. Oh, wow. I can't believe he's gay. He doesn't seem gay. Right. So everyone's celebrating that. Or, you know, when Colton Underwood came out, I can't believe he's gay. It's like people think that every gay man is into makeup and wearing dresses. That's not the case. And I think these examples are the reason these people can be brave is because of feminine people like me 
drag queens, trans women who started Pride. A lot of people don't know the history. Like, it's really important that y'all know that without black and brown queer people, there would be no space for white gay men to come out and to be so comfortable. So I think it's, yes, it is brave, absolutely. But a black football player had come out before him years ago and didn't get the press coverage, right? So I think- No, right. Yeah, see, so there's a lot of stuff. And then people will say, oh, well, that person wasn't drafted. He's the first- yeah, I get that. But like, again, our communities are very resilient and very vibrant. And you know, um, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but she just won the 100 meter dash for the Olympics. And she is queer. And yeah. she said, I'm going to tell my girlfriend, I'm so excited. Okay, it doesn't have to be such a proclamation and a coming out and this whole production. Sometimes it's just, I have a girlfriend. Can we like, we need to start normalizing the coming out process. I mean, I don't think you had to come out as straight, right? So why do I have to come out? And I've had to come out so many times, right? Not only once as gay, then as femme, then as a gay Muslim. It's like consistently people are wanting me to to validate my existence. And it can get kind of frustrating at times. No, you're very right. And it's true. We see We see that. And I love that you mentioned things like that because a lot of the times when we do have people around us in the LGBTQ plus community, it's almost like they have to justify their gayness yes. or their otherness to be accepted. It, um, and, and the silliest thing I could almost compare it to so people understand, it's like, for example, when somebody tells you, when you're insecure about yourself and someone you know gives you a compliment and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, but, but, oh, yeah, but, um, because you just don't feel comfortable or you don't want to make somebody else uncomfortable that, that maybe you aren't uncomfortable with it and you are Exactly. I'm happy. It's it, it. I know. I mean, it sounds silly, and maybe I'm explaining it completely wrong, and not no, doing I get it what just- you're saying. I. It's it's kind of like, as queer people, we're constantly having to ask for permission, to ask for forgiveness, and I think that when I put that aside, and I don't know if I can cuss, but I will. Um, when I said fuck it, I was like, you know, I'm done with other because people are never going to validate who you are until you decide who you are. I. I was like, listen, I am who I am and I'm going to step into it. And it's honestly who I am. I am not a perfect practicing Muslim. I don't go to Friday prayer. I don't fast. I don't, I drink occasionally. Like I'm not perfect, but I, in my heart, have a relationship with God. So whether or not you think I'm going to hell, whether or not you think I shouldn't exist, I should kill myself, whatever. I've heard all of those things is that at the end of the day, I stopped asking for permission. So I am who I am. And if you're uncomfortable, it's my Instagram. It's my TikTok. You can exit stage left and you don't need to follow. So for all the people that like say, oh, I don't like your content. That's fine. There's other people doing other things. You can go follow them. Like I, I am creating my content for people like you that have enjoyed it and my friends and people that really need to see it. So I don't, I've stopped asking for permission. I think that's a huge shift. Yes, I think I'm, that's exactly it. And allowing yourself to be that vulnerable, but that assertive I guess and say like you said just fuck it I'm done and I think that's the space that we need to get to where like this young lady and I was trying to look for her name um and her saying what she said and basically casually mentioning you know that she had a girlfriend and it being as big a deal as it became kind of takes away not just from what she accomplished that day because then they turned it into something else where she just wanted to shout out her girlfriend Oh, her name is, I found her name. So it's Shakari um, Richardson. And it's so funny because she won that 100 meter dash and her mom had died a week before that. And the, all the news stories were all just about the fact that she was queer. And I get it. It's 
it's monumental, right? The first blah, 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 gay, blah, 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 blah. Okay. All of that is great, but I'm tired as a queer person of being that clickbait, right? Every interview I do, the only gay Muslim, that's not true. I'm just the one that's vocal and I refuse to be silenced, right? So I am not a, a rare breed. I am not endangered. There are thousands and hundreds of millions of Muslims around the world that are in the closet that message me. So I am not different. It's just these stories of the first black and the first Muslim. We need to get to a place where it is no longer news. White straight men have taken over the government, the media, everything. And it's still so shocking. When I go into these rooms and I pitch my stories to producers, it's always like, wow, you're so articulate. Wow, you're so interesting. It's like, oh, wait, you thought that I was gay, so I can't put a sentence together? Or, you know, or I get the stuff from being Middle Eastern. I was born in America. People say, wow, you don't have an accent. Why would I have an accent? I was born in America. You know, these kind of microaggressions hold queer people back, hold women back, hold people of color back because we get imposter syndrome, right? When I wanted to start my podcast, everyone's like, nobody wants to listen to you. Nobody's interested in Which, you. By the and way, then, I love Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're so sweet. I mean, listen, it's, but you, I'm sure you get this as well. Like a lot of people tell me like, they're like, oh, you're not interesting. You're not interesting. And then it's like, I get verified on Instagram. Or I get a certain amount of followers on TikTok. And those same people are like, wow, you're so, you're so important now. It's like, no, no, no. I don't need to prove my worth. But, you know, in our, in the American capitalistic structure, it's very like, how much money do you make? Are you viable? And, you know, I've worked for Michael Jordan, Melissa McCarthy, all of these celebrities. And a lot of them, when I was working with them, we got rejection. People didn't want to work with them because she was fat or he was black. I mean, these are real things. And this is less than 10 years ago. Like, it's not like, you know, 30, 40 years ago. You know, these things have not shifted. I mean, even today, like, the guy that killed George Floyd is getting 22 years, okay? That's great. Yes, he's not getting off. I mean, it was disgusting. And, I, and then, you know, I was like, okay, at least he got some time. I get it. But the fact of the matter is, there is a man who's going to be in prison for life without the chance of parole, and he stole a $9 item because that was his third strike. So we're living, and of course, that person is black. So, you know, this is the structure we're living in. So I, I think it's really important. And the reason I talk about these things is not because I'm trying to ruin your day or you're so negative. It's not about that. For me, my platform is always hinged on education through humor. So I always want to make people laugh, but sometimes things are not funny. Palestine, the Chauvin case, like George Floyd, BLM, queer issues. These are not funny. So sometimes you do need to like open your eyes and listen. And I get it. When you're a white straight man, you can change the channel, right? Like our issues, you, a Latina woman, me, a Persian man, queer man, people don't, they can change the channel on us. They don't care. They don't have to care. But I think it's important when I have a platform to speak on these things, right? And I think a lot of people are like, oh, everything's perfect. It's America. Everyone's accepted. Well, obviously not. <laughs> yeah, no, that's you know. very true. We we go through things all the time and as that other, right? That it's almost like we we check that other box all the time. We keep things quiet because we don't want to make other people uncomfortable. We you just want to um not make any waves and just keep the status quo and so you don't say things. Right now when you mentioned being articulate, I recently had something happen to me like that. Uh, my last name is very Hispanic sounding. It's Garcia. And so I have a very professional, you know, nine to five type of a job. And when people come, they always expect that I married a Garcia, that I'm not oh a Garcia, you know, and I was born in Mexico. I was not born in this country. 
And I'm very proud of that. And I always say it, and it's not something that I ever shy away from. But I, I recently had someone come into my office and say that very thing to me. They saw my name, did a double take, or my nameplate, did a double take, and then came back and said, wow, you speak English very well. Or no, you speak real. He said, you speak real good English. How'd you learn so fast? You're so articulate. Those are micro impressions. <laughs> and then I sat there and I, and I, I, I stood there and I, I, you know, when you think of those moments, you think of all of these things you're going to say. And I had nothing. Number one, I was completely shocked that somebody would say that to my face in an open office. Number two, um, you don't want to then be looked at as the crazy, you know, spicy Latina and yelling at somebody because, and honestly, my first instinct wasn't even to yell. I was stunned. And I said, excuse me? And he repeated it. He stopped, turned back around. Like, like it was a total compliment. I don't think in his head he thought he was insulting me. Right. Well, it's, it's, so, it's funny because they double down on it. Like, that's the thing that I always get confused. I'm like, you, you're hearing that I'm uncomfortable with what you just said. But in their mind, it's like those people that say, I don't see color. Well, it must be nice because the rest of us have to see it. That's who we are. You know, this happens to me as well. Like, I'm white passing and people meet me and they're like, wait, Amir Hassan, like, that's so Middle Eastern. Like, oh, your parents must love, like, exotic names. I'm like, no, 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 I'm Persian, and you have to be, and they're not, they're, they, they get visibly uncomfortable. It's so, mm -hmm. it's just it's very interesting. Or, or you know, I had a bad experience with a Persian person, but you're great. Or Muslims scare mm -hmm. me, but you're great. Or, I mean, I've heard it all. Or do you know my dentist? FYI, I don't know someone because they're Persian. Like, right. you know, that's a very <laughs> racist comment. And and a lot of these microaggressions, I, I think sometimes the word downplays how impactful it can be. Because again, you're someone who is like, we're, you know, older and we understand like how to process our feelings. And but when you're young, you're 20 years old and someone says that to you, it can really stunt your progress. It can really affect who you are. And it can really make you feel like, wow, I can't make big moves because I'm seen as less than, right? So again, you can say everything to me and honey, it's not going to bother me because I know that I'm a star and I will, and you'll be riding my coach. Yes, you are. <laughs> so honey, I'm not going to sit back and cry over anything, but it does affect me. You know, I got a ticket the other day, a speeding ticket and the cop wrote white Caucasian. And that feels very invalidating that in America being Middle Eastern is considered white. And I'm sorry, but it's not white. And, and we don't get the same benefits and we, we don't get the same energy mm -hmm. around who we are because a lot of people assume, oh, Persians are rich. Financial privilege is one thing, but white privilege is a very different thing. There are people who are living in, you know, trailer parks that have more safety than, than anyone else in this country because of the color of their skin. And this is the reason I get a lot of messages. Well, I grew up with no money and how dare you say I have privilege. White privilege is a very insidious and a very real thing in this country. Like I benefit from it because I look white, you know, so I know that it's a real thing. So it, it's just all very complicated and, and, and interesting. But people kind of want to stick their head in the sand and ignore it. Um, but then they'll come to my page and I'm like, honey, we're not ignoring it. Not today. <laughs> no. And that, that's, that's something very poignant saying, you know, white privilege is such a trigger phrase mm -hmm. where people hear it and they, they get stunted and, and automatically get defensive. And what we mean as people of color, when we say that, there's a whole meaning behind it. It's like, just like you said, I, I have heard it, you know, well, we grew up poor and without any benefits in life or without a hand up or a leg up in life, but that's not all it means. Like you said, you know, when you're the color of your skin, 
is, you know, like us, like I, I'm a very light Latina, which means I, I also have had, I'm white passing. And so I've had white privilege because before people know who I am and what I am, what my culture, what my background is, they, they treat me different. Once they know, then you see people holding back a little. I've had people make crude jokes and very, well, not outwardly racist jokes, but, but, but it, it goes there until I say, hey, hey, hey. Like, I don't know who you think you're talking to, but that, that's not going to fly. And so, um, but, they, but they think they get comfortable around you because they think you're one of, quote unquote, them. And so it's, it's okay. Yeah. And then, um, you know, a lot of the times people are afraid to, to put their foot down and say, yeah, no, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to laugh with you because it's not funny. And that's hard. That's a really hard thing to do, especially if you're, you know, in a, in a job where like I've been an assistant before and people say things and you're like, oh, I really can't speak up. And that's one of the reasons that when I had my platform, I was like, I'm going to speak up on anything. And I, you know, I've had brands reach out and say like, oh, we would work with you if you stopped talking about white privilege or Palestine. And I'm like, then I don't want to work with you. I don't want to be censored. And you don't pay my bills. You, I'm not dating you. So I have no real allegiance to you. So I have always been, you know, I've said, I said no to, to a lots of money as well. I think it's easy to say, oh, I would never do that. And then when someone's like, here's $10,000, a lot of people would shift their perspective. I don't. I'm like, I don't stand with your morals. I don't stand with your perspective. And I don't want to support a company like that. So it, again, putting your kind of money where your mouth is, is, is really important, especially with social justice. Cause it's easy to say, I love black people. I love queer people, but then you just don't really seem to care about it, you know? And that is, is very obvious to me where I have friends who are very uncomfortable with who I am, but then it's like happy pride on their story. I'm like, how about you make me feel welcome and you don't need to post how happy pride, you know? Mm-hmm. No, exactly. It's, it's about, like you said, putting your money where your mouth is and mm-hmm. actually acting on it and not just talking about it. Now, just putting up the black square or the rainbow during Pride Month. And that's also something that you were very vocal about with a lot of uh, these corporate or these companies coming out during Pride Month, how they, they switch their, um, their logo to something with a flag and they're just trying to get that, um, you know, that gay dollar, right? Yep. And and that gay dollar is strong. Like a lot of us have a lot of discretionary income and a lot of these companies know that. And again, when it comes like Burger King gives 40 cents on the dollar that's made or Apple donates a million dollars to like, you know, you know, the no hate, like, you know, proposition eight, like when you, these kind of shifts, I'm like, okay, these companies are, put, but when someone just like, like Citibank, who's been very anti-LGBTQ, all of a sudden is like, oh, we love you and we're going to have a pride parade and everything. It's like, yeah, that's great. But it also, it's called rainbow washing. So it's supporting a company, like a company going to support queer people or black washing where you go and support black businesses, but it's only like the month of February. So we exist outside of those one month pride or black history month. Like we exist the entire year. So I just think that it's like, it's so funny because a lot of companies or people will say, why do we need a whole month? It's like, well, we have a month for the military. We have a month for, I mean, the rest of the year is essentially for white people. So I don't understand why we can't have the Mexican Heritage Day or we can't have like, you know, we still in this country celebrate Christopher Columbus Day, which is so moronic (laughs) and idiotic. Like he didn't discover shit. So why are we celebrating him? Right? Like I I just, it's like, it's just so baffling to me. Or 4th of July, like America's okay. 
America's not great. It doesn't need its own holiday. Like, this country has a lot more work to do. Like, again, I'm all for the barbecues and the fun and have it, and I will as well. But just be cognizant of what you're celebrating, right? Like, for a lot of people in this country, and I hate to say it because I do love America, is that the American flag is makes people feel scared now. They're uncomfortable when someone has an American flag on their car or they're waving it in the street because we now associate that with hate. We associate it with trauma and Trump and all of that. So until we can stop connecting the two for a lot of people that are other, it, you know, there's a lot more work to be done in this country, that's for sure. Oh, definitely. It's, it's, they, they adopted this country's colors and made them into a symbol of hate. What happened these last four years has something that it, it hasn't been new, right? It wasn't new. Hate, hate isn't something that just uh, that the last administration created. However, the scary part was how openly, how quickly and how um, easy it was for people to just adopt it and run with it. The whole Without country. any consequence, which is really scary. That was the first time, I think, in our country where it was kind of okay to be a racist. It was okay to be hateful. I think in the past, it was like, you know, like, you can be racist, but, like, kind of keep it to yourself. But then it, all of a sudden, it's like, people are, are proud. I mean, I've gotten messages. They're public, and they're proud of, like, hating me. It's just interesting. Very oh, it's an interesting yes. I mean, what has been happening to people of color, to women, to uh, the LGBTQ plus community out in these streets these last four years. Again, not that it hasn't happened before, but the openness and the comfortableness with which it was being done was very terrifying to so many people. I mean, talk about a pandemic that shut this country down. These last four years did a number on us that as awful, um, I started thinking about it, as awful as the pandemic was, it was almost like a blessing in disguise because it allowed so many people to stay home and obviously, you know, besides the yucky part of people losing their homes, losing their jobs, but it it allowed people to remain safe in their homes for a little bit because for a while there, you couldn't go anywhere. Without- right. And there was no shootings. Yeah. There was no shootings. There was not- And people were like, oh, it's so safe now. And I'm like, no, it's not. People are just at home. Like yeah. the minute people left their houses, there was multiple shootings. There was, you know, a child was shot during a road rage thing in, in California. I mean, it's like, it's it's very insidious these kind of like again i want to have my guns i get it but like do you understand what's happening in this country it, it's just did you see that article um i think cnn posted this piece on um this school i believe it was like a pretend high school that invited the president or the former president of the nra to speak at a commencement ceremony And so they had him talking to, I believe it was like thousands of empty seats. And they told him that they were going to record it as like a practice before the Mm -hmm. actual ceremony. And what Mm -hmm. it turned out to be was like each of those empty chairs represented a young person who had lost their lives to to gun violence. Oh my God, I just got chills. One of the the people um, involved in in putting this together was a parent of... uh, the park one of of one of the victims of the Parkland shooting, I believe, mm. and so one of those things, and it's like it. That's one of the wonderful things about the internet and and activism is is people coming together for that to just fight against the hate because everything we we have 
face pandemic aside has just torn us as a people apart. I mean, talk about even people of color being afraid to kind of even come together as a community to to stand by each other because everyone's almost starting to look out for themselves for fear of what is in store for them, um, for fear of protecting like the Asian community, the black community, like, oh, well, the black community can stand on their own. They're pretty strong. They're okay. But then if something happens, hey, you know, where are you guys to support us? And just all around, um, Mexican street vendors have been attacked all across the country. We have Asian people on the streets, right? You have um, everything happening with Palestine. I mean, ever since 9-11, what Muslim people have have gone through in this country has been deplorable. And so just little by little, it's like they're taking you know, they're checking our boxes. And it's just like, you know, with with this presidency, Mexican people were what did, what did he say that we were all um, rapists and murderers, and we were here to steal your jobs. Oh God. And so and yeah, and meanwhile, you have all of the the uh, fields in California needing to be worked and okay, yes, let's deport them all. Okay, they're all getting deported. Now guess what, <laughs> all that fruit and, and whatnot is rotting because they have no one to work these fields. And so, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a real thing. And, and again, when you demonize, quote unquote, the enemy, and in this case, it was Mexicans, it was been Muslims, mm-hmm. you, if you say they have children, they cry, they celebrate birthdays, you know, I've had people ask me, oh, do Muslims celebrate birthdays? Yes, you're demonizing the enemy. So then if you blow them up, it's like, well, yeah, Palestinians are savage. Middle Eastern people are crazy. Muslims are terrorists. You know, Mexicans are rapists and drug dealers. Do you know who's consuming the drugs that they are creating? American. Like, people just are, are so daft. I mean, I just, it's like, I, I can't understand how you can connect the two. Or even like this whole Derek Chauvin, right? Why is his mother allowed to speak? Which murderer's mother is allowed to speak at a, make a statement? Do you think that if he was Black, that his mother would be able to speak on his behalf if he had shot a police officer? Mm-hmm. So I, I just, it's like these double standards Again, they are like a punch in the gut, but they are not that surprising. Unfortunately, like America is built on the blood of Native Americans. It is built on like murder and rape and pillaging. Like, so people need to stop thinking America is so perfect. Uh, You know, America looks at other countries. Oh, how dare Iran do this? How dare, you know, South Africa be like this? They love to point their fingers. And I'm like, honey, you're the problem as well. Like, you know, we're not safe here. Like, I went to the mall today and I was like, anyone could have a gun here. So that's what we're living in. And, and you know, children go to school every day thinking this could be, a, is this drill, this lockdown real? Or like, is it just a test? That's so crazy. Oh, yes. Having a child in this country attending uh, a school, a public school, mm-hmm. especially, mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. you, you say a little prayer in the morning and you hope that your baby comes home to you. That's not okay. And and, and they're afraid of that too. They realize that. These kids know. They live in fear. They're they're skittish. They're jumpy because they don't know. And then we teach them, right? You have to be nice to everybody. Yes, I I agree. Um, Everybody deserves grace and kindness. However, with when we're talking about a lot of these school shooters, I mean, when you start to dig into it, it's, it's a whole lot more than just somebody being mean to them. And um, when you start to just break it down that way, it, it's almost like you're blaming all of the victims. And so when when there's a whole 
lot more that was happening um, to those kids. And, but yeah, no, it's, it's a very real fear. I have, I have a little one starting her first year of um, high school. And so as much as I'm excited to see her grow up and, and start to enjoy um, being her age, it's terrifying. It, it's so. Of course it is. And every time yeah. you hear an alert or something comes through the phone, you, you hold your breath and you, you pray that that's not what it is. And so during this pandemic, as awful as it was to do, you know, learning from home and, and hybrid learning and this and that, kids have been home and they have been safe. I mean, can't say that they've been saved. There's a lot other of other things, right, that have happened. Sure. Being- but at least it's not happening at school. Right. Like, exactly. you know, and, and that's a difference. I mean, I was, I went to a private school and this is years ago and, you know, there was a kid that was threatening to kill people and then they had to be on the news. And then, you know, his mom, his aunt or his mom had, you know, had said that discrimination. And it's like, no, no, no. Like he had said these words and threats are really powerful because a lot of times threats are ignored and then something bad happens and everyone's like, oh my God, you know, and a lot of like QAnon and all these crazy Trump supporters think a lot of these like Sandy Hook is fake and that these elementary kids were not murdered. And I'm like, this is the kind of stuff where it's like, they're so strong in their beliefs that they are erasing history. And I think that that is really damaging. And, mm-hmm. you know, even what you're saying, like, I don't feel safe sending my kids. Like what? The American dream is dead. Like we need to stop like saying, oh, this country is so perfect because that takes the onus out of the abusers and puts it on us, right? Saying, oh, like you were mean to him. People are mean to me. I don't shoot up schools, right? Like that is a choice. Like, again, I understand mental illness, but there's a lot of mentally ill people that seek help and get help. I've been in therapy for 10 years. Like you can get help and I get it. It's expensive, but shooting up a school and then saying, oh, it's because he had a bad day. Like that's not fair. Like I, you know, the guy that shot up that Atlanta spa, like the CNN was like reporting that he had a bad day. I'm like, what? Like the sheriff said he had a bad day. I'm sorry, but if George Floyd had been the one to kill an officer like that, he would get no parole. It would be in prison forever. I mean, it's just, it's like laughable. I mean, the fact that he got any time is, is already kind of like surprising, but then even for it to be so limited and then like the last seven years, he can just kind of be supervised and not so this guy will be able to have a second life he's not even that old so it's just it's like that's the frustrating thing where it's like you know he'll be protected because of the color of his skin and you know this is not news to anyone but jails themselves are perpetrators of essentially slavery most of brown and black men are in prison it's not white people so you know and i think that for you to end up in prison for a very long time as a white person you have to do something really bad yeah because otherwise you're gonna get out you know so i don't know it's just it's all very complicated and and messy but you know i do my best to educate myself and other people about these topics but i get that a lot of people are just like i don't care and i don't want to hear about it i get that but i have been someone who couldn't just drive and see a homeless person and be like whatever it's their problem like i've always just seen the pain in the world and i also you know conversely see the beauty and the amazingness of the resilience that I get to live in America and wear a dress and be on TV and have an Instagram and do whatever I want. Like I see the beauty in that, but I also know that 99% of people don't live like that. Oh, definitely. It's one of those misconceptions. Well, if you criticize this country so much, then why don't you leave? If you hate it here so much, then there's however many other countries to go. 
that's not what it's about. It's about the fact that we do live in this country and we do enjoy certain freedoms. And if people are able to openly spew hate, then we can very much uh, criticize what's happening. And that's that's democracy. That's how it works. And the difference is that we're able to listen to people and actually take in, even if it's something that we don't agree with, whereas people that spew hate, that's all they want to hear. And they won't actually sit and listen and have a conversation where we could actually maybe learn something from each other. And, and that's the difference. And, and it's one of those things where um, I, my husband is a, a Marine, Corps, Marine Corps veteran. And we've had many conversations about, you know, because our, like, again, as our daughter is growing up, we talk about the flag and what it represents and what it means to our family, obviously being um, uh, of Latin descent and facing a lot of the things that are, are happening in this country, especially within the last four years and talking to her about it. And one of those things that, that he said, you know, he fought for this country so people could have the right to say whatever it is that they want, right? I'm not free of consequences, but we are still free to say what we want, whether it's favorable or not. And that's what living in this country is. Unfortunately, we're kind of in a bit of a shit show at the moment. Mm-hmm. But um, it, you know, it, it that that's what it is. It sucks right now. Hopefully, it'll turn around because, like you said, everybody comes to this country. They lose their lives trying to come to this country for the for the opportunity of the American dream. And as bad as it may be here, so many countries right now around the world are so much worse. That um, at the end of the day, you know, we do have the right to criticize because we do live here, and that's one of the things that, if nothing else, that we do enjoy. Absolutely. And also, I, I'm really anti this this kind of narrative that's like, oh, if you have a comment or anything that's not positive, then go somewhere else. I was born here. I'm an American citizen like you. I pay taxes. I do. I am allowed to comment. So when I see bumper stickers, you know, of like, oh, you don't like this country, then let me help you pack. And I'm going to no. First of all, <laughs> this idea that immigrants are stealing American jobs. Honey, you didn't go to high school. So you, nobody's stealing your job. <laughs> we're all educated and and we're not like, we're not trying to take, you're not like, you're not trying to get that job anyway. So I want to make that very clear for people that think some sort of way about immigrants taking our jobs. Not only a lot of times you're not qualified for the job, you also don't want to do it. Americans are very, very spoiled. Immigrants are not. When my parents came here with no money in their pockets, they worked the job that's cleaning and they worked the job that they don't say no to a work. Americans are, I've had so many friends that I've tried to help get a job. Oh, I don't want to do that. That's too many hours. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not doing that. They're very spoiled. So this narrative that we've created in the media that, oh, our jobs are being taken. No, honey, it's not our, it's Amazon that's taking their production off overseas to make more money. You blame the companies. Stop blaming the immigrants because we're not the ones hiring robots to replace your jobs. We're also not the ones that are trying to take your jobs. You, You guys are working at a coal factory. I'm sorry. I don't know many immigrants that work at a coal factory. So you keep doing that and we'll keep doing our fabulous, like amazing jobs that we're killing because we're hardworking. Whether or not you start as a like $10 an hour job, most immigrants rise to be like management. They're always like constantly rising. So this narrative, like I'm like, Americans need to stop that narrative because it's very, very false. Yeah, that is, that is a very beautiful thing. You know, you work and, and many of our communities, they work, work, work um, to either, you know, uh, save up to start their own little business that becomes something great, whether it stays like a little corner store or you open up a jewelry store or a construction company or landscaping. And 
I'm now I'm stereotyping my own people, but. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they do those jobs really well. And also for me, like, I'm like, you know, do does everyone want to have a Persian cafe? Like, is everyone going to do jewel? Like, people are not going to do these jobs. So Persians step in and they're like, well, I see that there is no cafe <laughs> in the neighborhood. So I'm going to make it. Or when I see an, a Mexican immigrant selling something on the side of the street, Americans are way too bullshit proud to do that. So I'm like, kudos to you. Yes, you're making money here and there, but you're trying at least. And I believe that the universe meets you in the middle. So that person that's selling oranges on the side of the street or the Persian guy that's opening a cafe with zero money in his pocket, I believe the universe will meet you in the middle. Americans are like waiting for someone like to knock at their door with those, remember those giant checks, Ed McMahon? Like they're waiting for that shit. They're getting lotto tickets. Immigrants don't spend their money on lottery because they're like, I got to work. Like Americans want handouts. And it's so funny because they love to blame black people and brown people and Muslim people for doing welfare or, oh, you're taking advantage of like the Corona, like COVID, whatever, like stimulus check. Honey, it's $2,000. It's not going to change anyone's life. But all these Americans thought, oh, they're taking advantage. It's like, yeah, advantage of what? Like you think social security is giving people $20,000 a month. Like it's expensive to live in this country. So I just, it's so funny that they think that that little bit of money is like, yeah gonna like save us that's just so that's true i mean it, it's just one of those things where uh you we see things differently because of where we come from we have a different lived experience than maybe people that were born well you were born here but uh that have parents that were born here and that this is all that they've ever known so they don't they're not exposed to other cultures and um they just don't enjoy the perspective of having lived a, a life of either struggle or just different right something that wasn't right. completely easy and simple and kind of handed to you not that everybody everybody's life is handed to them but it, it comes at a different cost when you come from a different country or your family comes from a different country, whether you're first generation or not. Like I said, I wasn't born here. We were just talking about that, my daughter and I. She's like, does that make me first generation or second? Because my husband was born here and I was not. And so we talk about right. those things. And um, and and her being a young lady that is uh, Mexican-American, what that is going to mean for her future. And so always wanting more, always working extra hard because nothing is going to get handed to you. You're going to have to work 10 times harder than, um, you know, that somebody else that may possibly has not the best grades, but you're just always, you're always held to a different standard. Right. And that's just the burden that we carry and, and what we will continue to have to do to, in order to succeed in this country. I mean, and it's true, like, and that onus is on us. And it like, and the fact of the matter is, like, I also lived in Iran for two years when I was younger. And it, the fact that I've traveled to a lot of different countries, I've seen immense poverty and people see in America, yes, we see homelessness, but homelessness in other countries is extreme poverty. It's no handouts. It's like you're shunned by society. It's a very different thing. So I think Americans, the number one thing, if, you, if you're listening to this and you've never traveled, I get it, it's expensive, but go get your passport. You need to leave the like four squares of your neighborhood. Americans stay put and they think, oh, made in America, I'm America made. It's like, that's all great, but you have no perspective of other people and their experiences. So I just think that there's so much more work to do around that. And empathy comes from seeing struggle. So if you've never struggled, like, how are you going to be empathetic? And I mean, I always say like me being queer made me an empathetic person. I understand what it's like to feel lonely, to feel like 
people hit rock bottom, right? Being in a closet is below rock bottom. Like you're just really lost. And I think that experience makes me more empathetic. And a lot of people, you know, especially white straight men who don't really have to care, they don't have empathy. So I think that, again, empathy is something that you don't wake up with. You have to kind of work at. Um, and yeah, I think traveling is super important. That is, that is a beautiful thing if you're able to do it. And it sometimes it is very scary not knowing where to go and, and, and not being used to it. But I think that's, again, it's a curse of being an American. It's so easy here and the food and you're afraid of like, well, what am I going to eat and what am I going to do? And I think a lot of it is just where in school, you're not really exposed to a lot, depending on where it is that you're going to school. So other cultures are, are scary and you just don't know what to expect. And so you'd rather just stick with what you know. And so a lot of people don't travel. What I really like right now is with things like TikTok, um, as toxic as it can be, and Instagram and all of that, well, more TikTok than anything. You see all of these younger kids um, getting to know all kinds of different people and experiencing different things. And the fact that they're educating not just themselves, but um, geriatric millennials, as you like to call us. I do. <laughs> uh, which I want to talk about that. I thought that was hilarious. Your your uh, TikTok, TikTok vocabulary lesson for, for geriatric millennials. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's one of those things where, again, the, the internet can be so evil, but, but it can also be so beautiful because it opens the doors to many places where, you know, you might not ever get to go. And um, just seeing our young people explore and and have the, the gusto not to be able to learn themselves, but also educate adults. Like I've learned so much from my daughter and, and it, it, it teaches her so much. Like, um, again, this being pride month, I don't know what I was saying. I was running late and I said, um, there was nothing. I don't know what it was. And I said, Hey, do you want, uh, do you want Chick-fil-A? And it's not a place that I ever really go to. I don't know why it's the first thing on my mind. And she said, mother, mother, Chick-fil-A. She's like, but it's pride month. And I <laughs> that's sweet that's really sweet they're they're like ahead of us they're they know what's up like i still eat chick-fil-a and i'm gayer than the day is long so i'm not perfect but you know i was talking about that like that's another thing it's like if i was to stop going to all the businesses that support palestine or anti-gay or anti-black or brown people i mean there's the, you'd, you'd be left with five restaurants yeah. so unfortunately but i think there is a shift you know burger king is very very openly you know, for gay people and donating 40%, 40 cents on a dollar that they're getting during pride. So these are moments where companies are, again, putting kind of, again, their money where their mouth is. And I think that that is the only shift that we can hope for is, is that shift. Yeah, it's just one of those things. I think it's beautiful. We're seeing a lot of our, our younger people really, um, it's not just about being fake woke. They're actually educating themselves on on real history and real life events where, for us, a lot of it was colored by what was shown on the news, and that's pretty much all you got. And if your parents only spoke Spanish or only spoke, you know, whatever language was spoken in your house, that's the news channel channel that they turned to. And however that particular channel decided to to report on things, that's the the take that you got. Whereas now these kids are doing their own research and educating themselves, and that's beautiful because that is hopefully going to give us a better tomorrow. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and I think that it's kind of embarrassing now to not know what's going on, where when we were growing up, you know, in the 80s and 90s, it's like, you could kind of like, there was no internet, you could kind of like, why oh, didn't see it on the news? I don't know. Now it's like, you need to know what's going on, right? Like, 
You need to know what's up. You need to be aware of pronouns. And if you don't want to do it, you're the asshole. And that's fine. You don't, not everyone has to be quote unquote woke. I, I don't like that word, but there's no better word. But you know, it's like you, you don't have to do all those things, but then you're kind of the asshole. So if you, if you don't care, then fine. Then just don't learn anything. That's fine. Right. Yeah. And then, so again, it's just one of those things where we could, everything, it, it's a coin with two sides. And you learn it how you want. If you want to, like you said, well, pronouns are, are such a big deal to our young people, as they should be, because like you said, you know, it, it shouldn't be such a big deal to come out as whatever it is that, that you feel defines you or makes you. And it shouldn't be such a big deal. And the fact that I think hopefully many parents or some parents, most parents are, are becoming open and trying to understand their young people, especially when it comes to pronouns and how much it means to them, that, that it, it's just a step in the right direction. Um, there is resistance. And I do hear a lot of people make jokes and um, the they, the, you don't have to get it. They get it. And all they ask is understanding and that you abide by their wishes. And if you don't get it and it takes you time, then it takes you, it takes time. They, they're going through a whole lot more, um, actually putting it out there that this is what they would like to be called or how they wish to be addressed. And so if all we have to do is agree and understand and, and you know, kind of catch up, then that's all we have to do. They're doing the hard work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And on that note, um, so you mentioned earlier, and if you don't want to talk about it, we don't have to, but you mentioned that you were Melissa McCarthy's publicist or assistant, right? Was that correct or no? Yes. I, so I worked as an assistant to her um, manager. So I was like, an, and then I worked as a publicist. As okay. Well. And then you also mentioned Michael B. Jordan. And the only reason I'm going here is because you recently posted that um, uh, uh, B. Scott had posted an article about you about something that you mentioned during the time that you were working for Michael B. Jordan. Yes, this got complicated. <laughs> yeah, so last summer I was um, on Heather McDonald's podcast and, you know, I went on and it was my first time and, you know, she's really great with all the news and stuff. So I was there and I was talking about Michael B. Jordan. And I was talking about all my other clients and it was really kind of an off-the-cuff comment. It was like me and Michael had a moment. It was more joking than anything. I mean, nothing happened. And a lot of people, it became a firestorm and it was on all the news radios and B. Scott and, you know, Jasmine Brand and Shade Room and everything. So it kind of blew up as a story of us making out or having sex. I mean, nothing happened. So it was just more just like something off the cuff that I said that in retrospect probably wasn't the best thing to say. But, you know, you live and learn. I mean, the media is its own animal. No, it definitely is. And the reason I wanted to mention that was because when I did hear, I did hear that um, I love Heather's podcast and I actually listened to B. B Scott's podcast also. And so when I heard that comment on um, Heather, I instantly knew because of, of um, just, you guys were laughing and then the way it came out, I knew it's one of those things where you're like, oh yeah, and then we blah, blah, blah. And it was a total joke, but then the way it kind of took on a life of its own. And then I did hear it on B. Scott's podcast. And then recently, I don't know if if they also wrote an article and that's when you saw it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this again. And then he posted something like, like, do we care? Is it our business to care? Um, but then I was like, is it really that big of a deal? It was a joke. 
it got very misconstrued and a lot of people thought that I had outed him. And, and Michael has had some rumblings of his sexuality being in question in the past. But again, this is the kind of stuff where we need to stop making it like it's a death sentence. Even if the man is bisexual, he's with a woman right now. So it's a non-story. Like having these, con- again, oh my God, this person's lesbian. Or even on the Housewives, like the whole, you know, Denise Richards, um, Brandy Glanville thing. They were so aghast that she was with a woman. I'm like, can we normalize this stuff? Like, you guys need to stop being like, oh, they're with a woman. And like making it this huge story. Stupid storyline. First of all, I never understood it because the woman was married to Charlie Sheen. That guy is bat (laughs) shit bananas. Okay. If anything, that I would have been asking her, like, what was that insane like time of your life? Like, not that other messy. And I feel bad for Brandy because I think she's been, not that it excuses anything that she did, but the woman has been through a lot. Like you could tell that she just had breakdown after breakdown and the whole Leanne, Eddie, Eddie Cibrian mess. I mean, that just really took her to task. Uh, but that storyline, like, yeah, that was so the whole lesbian angle. I mean, the woman was in wild things and that was such a big deal when it came out. We gotta let yeah. it go. That's the thing. Like, being an actress, I've worked for actors, I've worked for reality stars, I've done reality TV. Like, at the end of the day, we are still people. A lot of people see the blue check mark or the public figure bullshit and they think that I'm not a real person. But at the end of the day, I'm a real person, I make mistakes, and so do reality TV stars. The reason they're entertaining, the reason Lisa Vanderpump or Kyle Richards or Brandy Glanville or all of these people are interesting is because they make mistakes, right? Why was Kelly Dodd on TV for so long, even though she's very openly racist and a lot of people don't like her? It's because at the end of the day, it's good TV. Like, we have to stop thinking that reality stars and actors need to be role models. Role models are Michelle Obama. Role models are not Nene Leakes. But that's okay. Like, I'm not saying Nene's a bad person. I'm just saying she's entertaining because she's going and saying kind of nasty things. That makes her fun, right? If you go on reality TV and you're like, Hey everyone, I love everybody. You're not going to come back for season two. No, not at all. And did you hear Wendy, she, um, Cynthia Bailey from uh, uh, Housewives of Atlanta was on today or yesterday? And she was basically mm-hmm. like, you know, somebody's going to get fired. She's like, I think it should be you. <laughs> she <was> like, what? <laughs> Wendy is She's like, You know what? Right now, Wendy is living her best life, number one. And she just gives zero Fs about anything. She is just going off at the mouth, like with this whole Britney thing, too. She um, She's always kind of not defended um, Jamie Spears, the father, but she has said, hey, maybe this is the reason that this is happening. It's for Britney's best interest. She's kind of always been steady on that. After the court hearing and the leaked audio and everything that came out, she took him to task and she said, you know, what did she say to the grave with you or something like insinuating, like, you know, I both you guys just like, you know, go away, like in the worst way. And um, they upload her, her like her uh, Hot Topics episode to her Wendy YouTube every like, you know, every day. Um, they cut that Hot Topics section right when she started talking about the, the court case. She's, you know, you know, I believe you, Brittany, you know, everybody like help Brittany, whatever. They cut it off. And the only reason I think somebody recorded and uploaded and I was like, maybe the shade room or something. Uh, and I was just like, whoa. But yeah, right now she just she just runs at the mouth and she gives zero Fs about anything. You know, losing 100 or 200 pounds of Kevin uh, Hunter yeah. did her so well. And I think it almost mirrors a lot of what she went through. Like, did you watch watch her um, 
her little like uh, biopic or whatever, her little Lifetime movie that she did. I did, and I really liked it. And it, it really resonated with me because there's so many things that, you know, I've had to do, right? Working in different industries, like having to deliver like dresses, put a belt on it, you know, have people yell mm -hmm. at me, you know, I've had to, you know, put a belt on a flight to fly to New York for someone. I mean, the things that you do when you are starting out, and especially when you're a Black woman in radio, I mean, the way that she would speak on the radio, that was like unheard of. And she had a lot of like setback, right? Like, and again, entertainment to make it as a person of color, a queer person, a woman is very, very difficult. I might as well, I would have better chance making it in the NBA than I would trying to have my own show on Hulu. Like, what I'm trying to accomplish, and when I go into these rooms, I am the least accomplished person there. Not because I'm not better than those people. It's because I don't have the opportunity they do, right? Like, I don't know anyone in Hollywood. My dad doesn't know a producer. I made my own way. Everything I've built is me. Blood, sweat, and tears. It's me sending an email on behalf of myself as my own publicist. Like, I've done all of these things. And yes, of course, like, I worked in Hollywood, so I do know some people. But people don't really open doors for people who are not white and straight and perfect and have everything, you know, they don't want people they can't control. Right. So it, I don't know when I, when I look at Wendy, yes. Does she say things sometimes that I'm like, oh, that's too far, but overall, like she's occupying a space that would be filled by a Maury or whatever, you know? And so she's filling that space. So it, it's still impressive. And I always give her. Oh, her definitely. I mean, during that time where she was, um, right before she left Kevin, that really dark, dark time where she was like fainting and all of that stuff was happening. Mm -hmm. Didn't they have that guy um, that's married? Oh, what's his name? He He's done a couple guest spots with her and they had him almost like take over her show for a little bit, but it didn't work out. I mean, he's very funny. He's been on Bravo. He's been on like Watch What Happens Live with Andy. Oh, Jerry yes. O'Connell. And we love him. And I think he's hilarious. And, and but that, that mm -hmm. whole, you know, trying to be animated, it was just like, it was just, you could tell that he was just trying hard and that's not what he does. And he's <laughs> great. And I, I love it when he does celebrity commentary and he goes with Andy and he right. talks in, in that space. He is himself trying to fit Wendy's shoes. He was right. trying to be a Wendy and um, that's never going to happen. So you're right. Should um, she ever go away? they're very much going to try and, and fill her spot with, you know, what a lot of what we already see. And to have her be in that spot for as many years as she's already been, it's it's quite an accomplishment. And it's opened doors for, you know, even people like me on a very small scale uh, doing celebrity commentary or anybody else. I mean, because before, uh, unless the celebrities or publicists were putting things out, not a lot really got out. You, you got... Right. what uh the spin that they wanted you to have amen i mean if i did my job right you wouldn't really hear about my clients a lot of people want like those dirt stories and i'm like i don't have a lot of those because i covered them up like i you know i had clients that would go you know famous a-list people who would end up at the hospital getting beat up by their boyfriends none of that stuff made the media because i was good at my job right so i think it's it's interesting because people want the dirt right but if you're a good publicist it doesn't get out so, you know, it, a lot of there's so much more dirt than we hear that is very much or Britney Spears. This has been rumbling for mm -hmm. years that her family's doing this to her, but it's only just come out because of the documentary. Britney could not have gone to court without that documentary. Behind that. that documentary really emboldened her and having Justin Timberlake apologize and having all this stuff. And, you know, her boyfriend is Persian. So I definitely have met him. I know him. Like these are things where these relationships when you control one person, 
it affects their children. It affects their boyfriends. It affects whoever they're with because this job is, and I hate to say this because it's kind of sad, but having worked as a publicist for all these years, we would rather have a working client than a healthy client. I'm going to say that one more time because it's really powerful. We would rather have a working client than a healthy client, right? We would rather put drugs in them, give them what they want to be able to perform. And that's really sad. And one of the reasons I left being a publicist was I also wanted to follow my own dreams, but I also was tired of enabling people's bad behavior because some people shouldn't be on TV. They should be in rehab. And that's a real thing. And so I think for me personally, like, I was tired of being like, wow, this person has this amazing career, but they're not doing well. That's really sad. Like seeing Brittany, I've seen clients cry like that in people's office. And, the, and then the publicist or the manager is like, here's $100,000. Go to Malibu, like shut the fuck up and sack yeah. up. Oh, yeah. And that's really the audio sad. that came out of that court case was just heartbreaking. I mean, she was talking a mile a minute. Like, like it was the last chance she was probably ever going to be able to speak um, by her, like on her own without being drugged, without like, what if next time they don't let her out of the house anymore to do something like this? And and the the judge kept telling her, I think he told her once or twice, at least from the portion that we got to hear those 23 odd minutes, can you slow down for the court reporter? She's like, okay, okay, I'm sorry. But it's almost like she had this desperation to get everything out because she knew you know, and, and, and of course, like, yes. And then what happens at the end, they send her home back to her, her captors, her, uh, you know, the people doing this to her with no sort of plan to how they're going to keep her safe. When she's vocalizing, I am scared. I am not happy. I am not okay. The people that are in charge of protecting me are the ones hurting me and you know and I would love to sue my family she talked about her father how she's like I cried on the phone with him for over an hour and it's like he was enjoying it her mother her sister everyone in in her life and so she's like I would love to to marry my boyfriend to be in my boyfriend's car I'm not allowed to do that um she's like I would love to have a baby they made me put in an IUD I cannot take it out what it's like it's like handmaid's tale it's literally like handmaid's tale they're like controlling her reproductiveness like they're controlling her health like it's crazy and if if someone and people were saying online like if she ends up dead like you know like that's a real like threat you know what's funny is that we just have to take a second with these situations and and i get it we get emotional we all love britney but we've been saying that there was a queer man who started the campaign free britney 15 years ago so this is 15 years chris crocker Exactly. So he started, someone said he was crazy and he's stupid. And that was 15 years ago. Okay. So that person has still been pushing for free Britney, right? Like all of these years. And I just think it's so interesting because we're all seeing it anew for a lot of people, but for a lot of people they've known, like me working in the industry, I've known about this. I've known about, you know, the way they treated um, Amanda Bynes. Like this happens. And, and look, does this ever happen to men? I mean, Kanye West has acted so outside of his mental health. And nothing, no conservatorship, no nothing. There, men do this all the time. Leonardo DiCaprio, you can you imagine Leonardo DiCaprio with a conservatorship, right. like or or Justin Timberlake or other singers that are male. There, there's a lot of people that have issues. Justin Bieber, I mean, he was like he was, and he was younger too, with all of this access to yeah. to like Britney and on drugs and doing this and doing that. This didn't happen to him. No, because he's a man. And when you're a woman in this country, 
it's funny because America say, oh, we're so progressive. Women get more raped here. Women have get paid less here. This, this is not the country that is like so all about women. They love to say, oh, the Middle East hates women. Yes, the Middle East is not great to women. But America's not either. Like, so this, we need to stop this perspective of the way that Britney Spears was made fun of for literally having postpartum depression. Like, the way that if a man was having these, was coming into court and crying for his family, you better believe that day the judge would say, your money is your own. Mm -hmm. Take the IUD out. I mean, it's just, we need to see the male privilege. And I'm a man, so I understand that the privilege that I have as well. Like, there are things that I can do and say that a woman could never do in a room, right? She'd be emotional and she'd be aggressive. Like, I understand that. Like, so with this whole Britney thing, yes, it is sad, but it's also really, really scary that in America, people can just take over your life and your money and use you like a parasite and you can't do anything. About of course. It. And it's like what she said, you know, I, I'm paying the lawyers that are trying to do this to me. Because her father draws a salary and those uh, law offices are charging her estate or they're billing her estate. So. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, her having a kid, it doesn't benefit them financially. So they're not into it. Like they don't want her to be off her feet for nine months, not able to do anything. Right. So these are just, it's really scary to look at. And I mean, I get that a lot of people are like free Britney, free Britney. And I get it. It's great. Like let's post about it all day. But this is a deeper issue of the justice system being anti-woman, being anti-Black people, anti-queer people, like protecting really just white men. So just be aware of these things. Again, you don't have to watch the news. You don't have to care about George Floyd. You don't have to do any of it. But what you do need to do is just for a second, see the irony in this. And that's it. Like, I am not asking for people to all of a sudden march with BLM or quit their jobs and post social justice stuff like I do. You don't need to do any of that. All you need to understand is for a second, see the irony in it. Oh, That's of it. course. I mean, All I'm asking. Let's look at um, what's happening with Erica Girardi and her soon-to-be ex-husband. Weren't they claiming he had dementia? And he's under some sort of a conservatorship, and yet we saw him out at dinner at a nice restaurant with a, with a, with a lady. Exactly. Well, conservatorship for a man is very much like you do whatever you want, slap on the wrist. I mean, it, it's truly mind boggling the difference, right? Someone defraud people of hundreds of millions of dollars, literally puts $20 million into his wife's account. She divorces them so she can't, they can't go after mm -hmm. that money. So at the end of the day, when you're rich and famous and whatever, you have friends that are going to pay for you, right? You've gotten them out of prison. You know how many favors this man has all over town? Do you think he's going to pay for dinner or have, if he wants to go on a trip, do you think he's going to have trouble getting a private plane? Like, it's so funny. Like, American government and justice system is so funny. They're like, we're going to freeze your assets. I'm like, this guy has assets hidden all over that house. And also, the privilege. They let that man live in his house until it's sold. That is, like, crazy. I'm like, that is such a privilege. And if people don't want to see that, that's fine. If people don't want to see the fact that Andy Cohen, who is the face of male white privilege, even if he's gay, doesn't really matter. The fact that he's like, oh, we're not going to fire Erica. Uh, why not? Do you think if, it, no, I was just going to say like, if Nene Leakes did that, she'd be fired right off the bat, right? So just like, we need to be cognizant of these differences. So yeah, yeah that's no, that, that, that's like, that get, ugh, I can't even speak. That gets me heated 
because you're right with Nini. And I never thought like it came to a point where Nini was getting pretty dark and, and um, just everything that was happening. It was just it, it wasn't fun anymore. Uh, what was happening during Housewives right what, right before her exit. And you thought, you know, she's so protected by Andy. She's one of the favorites. But then at the end of the day, she wasn't. She really wasn't. I mean, once they kind of, you know, Kenya started uh, beefing up the drama and Portia became, you know, the lovable, you know, one it, and Candy's like the superstar. All right, we have our cast. We're fine. You can go, Nini. I don't need you anymore. But yet Teresa... We have Teresa, like, I mean, that 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 whole situation is just gross. And then in Jersey, and then we have Erica Girardi where with Denise, oh, you have to be honest. You have to tell the truth. And now, oh, Erica, it's okay. Take your time. Take your time. You, you can share whenever you're ready. What? Yeah, that double standard with Lisa Rennell was like, are you serious? But these are the things where it's like, oh, you're pretty, or like even beauty privilege, right? Like being pretty, right? Being like, oh, you're so pretty. You're so white. You're so rich. And like her, and again, I understand like when she said, you know, Tom would be like, oh, if you can afford her, you can have her. Like, I'm sure he said things like that. And that is really sad. And I do sympathize with her. And for people who don't know, like I've worked for her and she can be a nightmare. But again, these things, when you're a good person and your intentions are to be good, these kind of things don't follow you. So when you're horrible to people, the universe eventually is like, here you go. So again, I'm not saying this whole thing happened because she was mean to me, but she's been mean and hurtful and condescending to lots of people. And eventually that energy just catches up to you. And again, I don't wish her anything but well if she didn't know. If she knew, she should rot in prison because she took money from people who needed it. And again, for me, I'm so tired of white people doing really fucked up shit and everyone being like, oh, it's totally fine. You, you've you've apologized it's enough like people say oh matt lauer should get a second chance uh the man who locked people into his office and raped them like i don't really understand how that person could get a second chance like but it, it's again this is america this is a country where someone's dad can force an iud into their arm you know like it's just it's just it's laughable to think if britney spears was a man can you imagine the doubt you have to use condoms like what Really? Like that wouldn't even be a real no, thing. Definitely not. Like no, yeah. we have so, we have Nick not. Cannon breathing every five seconds and getting somebody different pregnant. We have Oh my god, that man is so fertile. <laughs> um, was it you? I think you I think you had posted an article or somebody I read an article where um they were asked like what the heck is going on with Nick Cannon? And it was something like the an older interview that he did where it mentioned like that he's really afraid that he's gonna die young. And so it is like, oh, that almost makes sense. Like he's just really trying to like procreate and populate the earth because he just has this innate fear that he's just something's going to happen to him. Like right after he was, um, he found out he was sick. And so um, that I, that's just a different take on the whole thing. But that's like, a, that's another one. I mean, we're having him just like having babies left and right. We have like Chloe and Tristan just broke up. And then didn't Tristan just win um, the libel suit against... Uh, what is it, Kimberly Alexander, who wanted to complete that paternity mm -hmm. test uh, to prove that the baby she had was his. It is, I mean, the things happening right now out there are insane. I talk about, this is definitely not a, a slow news week or month. It's just been one thing mm -hmm. after another. It really is. It really is crazy because I think all of this stuff, it's like, 
these people are just famous. They all make mistakes. There, I know people that go back with someone who cheated on them. It's not newsworthy, but because obviously she's Khloe Kardashian, I get it. But a lot of these things where people are like, well, then don't be with him. It's like, well, then why don't you not be with your problematic ex? Like it, people, I think it's, we need to, and I'm not trying to say this to be like, oh, I know so many famous people, but I'm friends with a good amount of famous people that they're just kind of normal. They make mistakes. They drink too much. They get speeding tickets. Like they're very much like fucking up like the rest of us. So I think that we need to stop putting them on a pedestal because even Nick Cannon, like there was this whole TikTok trend where it's like a woman can only, even if she sleeps with a hundred people, she can only get pregnant once mm-hmm. a year. And where a man, all hundred of those could be pregnancies. And Nick Cannon's a great example of the fact that men do need, you know, to have their own, uh, like birth <laughs> control. Like, because if men were getting birth control, then the whole idea of abortion and the woman's body is a tra- would be much lessened. Because a lot of this is men doing whatever they want. And again, there's no consequences, right? If you don't have consequences for your behavior, why would you change it? Right. No, it, it's definitely true. And it just goes to show you, though, the way that men and women's bodies are regulated or not regulated for that matter. And yeah, it, it, it is. It's definitely crazy. Nick Cannon's out here walling out. <laughs> no wonder. So we have, um, yeah, like, and then another one, Chrissy Teigen the lovable sweetheart. And then Michael Costello. I mean, it's just literally, it's been a whirlwind of shit um, hitting the fan. Everybody's getting canceled. Um, but the one interesting thing that that um, that I've noted is, like you said, you know, you worked in, in this whole industry and you left because you wanted to pursue your passions and how, um, you know, being in reality TV and being on social media was such a, not a taboo, but it was kind of like looked down upon by all these celebrities. And it's almost like when the pandemic happened, it became like this great equalizer where everybody's staying home, including celebrities. They're not touring. They're not making movies. It's almost like they can't afford their lifestyle anymore. So where did everybody flock to? YouTube and TikTok and podcasts. And so you have this space that we were all kind of made fun of for doing and being in and existing in. And it's almost like now we're kind of getting pushed out of this space because you have all of these celebrities where, you know, they wanted to keep their mystique and their mysteriousness of being a celebrity. And now they're out there like sharing every single thing. And that's how we know all of this. Where like, I think that's where we started. You know, your, your job as a publicist was to make sure that no one ever knew that this and that was happening. Now they're putting it all out there. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the the pandemic, like you said, was a great equalizer, but it was also an opportunity to realize like the bad behavior that a lot of celebrities have, right? A lot of people were saying like, we're just like each other. And it's like, no, you're living in a $15, $15 million mansion. You're not like the rest of us. And I think that was a really good learning lesson for a lot of celebrities who, listen, if you get canceled, it's nobody's fault but your own. Go through and delete your tweets. Like, let me give you some free PR advice. Every client that I take on, I del- they delete their problematic tweets. You hope that nobody screenshotted it and you create an environment to step into being a public person. Having a career in Hollywood, being a public person is a privilege, not a right. So people need to stop saying, why are we canceling everybody? No, no, no. We're canceling the people who, whether your opinion was homophobic 10 years ago or not, that is not the problem. The issue is apologizing correctly once. It only takes one apology to fix it. If you want your career, Kevin Hart, you apologize earnestly. If you don't want it, then you're just going to kind of, and again, his career was not that messed up, but I'm just saying you have a real apology that's genuine. And even if you don't feel it, apologize because you don't want to lose your career. And that's what I tell people. 
delete your problematic tweets. I've tweeted things that are problematic. I've deleted them. You learn, you need to learn from stuff, but you need to do it on your own. And it's not the public's job to forgive you right when we see it. When we see you saying disgusting things, like the things that Chrissy did, I don't, that's not okay. So when you lose Macy's, Bloomingdale's, et cetera, and you apologize a week late, a, you know, a, what do they say? A dollar short and whatever, like too yeah. late and a dollar short, we, it's too late. You've only apologized because you've lost those brand deals. You haven't apologized because you actually feel bad, right? That's oh, definitely. And it's like once, and then she was on the verge of starting this whole empire with, with Kris Jenner. And that slowly kind of quietly, very quietly went away. And so now- it did. And- it was like, Chris Jenner was like, uh-uh, not today. And so. once you're not like, it's almost like when you get with that family, it's like, you know, you cash your golden ticket. And not that Chrissy obviously didn't have a golden ticket of her own. But once you get these two powerhouses together and she was so loved and, and all of this stuff starts coming out and it's like, no, she's like, she's like toxic right now. She, no one wants to touch her. And then you finally have John Legend, her husband coming out in defense of her. And it's almost like I've heard rumblings, um, allegedly things are going out there like what if you know as this continues or if she spirals and people are going to start to advise him like you need to slowly figure out a way to remove yourself from the situation yeah and and i'm not surprised and a lot of people were like why are we canceling an asian woman and again i'm all for people of color and women and progression but if someone is is guilty of bad behavior, and for me, it wasn't so much the dirt nap and the suicide comments were very problematic. For me, it's all of the pedophile comments. So that's what really, and those are from a long time ago when she was saying, oh, this girl looks like a child porn star. I mean, some of those jokes, like I just was like, Chrissy, honey, like I, ew, not good. It's in bad taste. And I'm a stand-up comedian, so I'm all for bad jokes. But not anything like that. That you know? hat, I, I did not know that that was one of the tricks in your hat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Stand my community. gosh. Well, <laughs> I mean, next time, hopefully after this pandemic clears out and I go and visit California and you're having a show, I would love to come. I would love for you to be there. <laughs> like I'm inviting myself. <laughs> you're invited. Thank no you. need to invite yourself. No, oh, my gosh. That, I mean, I obviously it makes sense. Like I said, I I love all of the the very thoughtful um, content that you put out. But one of the reasons I fell in love and I followed you and I started following you was because uh, you are just naturally funny. And some of the stuff that you put out there, like you said, you know, you, you put education and uh, laughter together, but a lot of the stuff, sometimes you just want to be funny and just laugh at some things. And you do that so very well, not forced at all. And it just comes natural. And I love it. And you have so many catchphrases that um, just coming out of my mouth, it would not sound right. But uh, I love it when you say it. And that is just hilarious. Can you do a corny before before I have taken up a lot of your time? And I really appreciate it. But would you mind doing a corny ass celeb story? Absolutely. So one that I don't talk about a lot actually is um, so I worked for these uh, producers, no one famous, but the story itself is quite funny. So they were producers for a show called Atlanta that Childish Gambino was on anyway. So I had dressed them for, I think it was a SAG Awards or something like that. I can't remember the exact award show. It all is like a blur. So I had to take a dress to their house and then they wanted like a baggie of weed to go along with it. And I was like, I am not a drug dealer. So a lot of these, like a lot of this entitlement around like publicist is kind of like you're a fix it all. So they don't want to hear how the pudding is made. They just want to see the pudding. 
So a lot of times I would have to kind of come up with it, but that was really where I drew the line. And I was like, I, I am not getting you drugs. Like I, and this is a time where, you know, weed was not legal. It was like really going to get you in trouble. And I, but you know, it's so funny because in LA it's like before things were very legal, everyone's drug dealer was like their best friend. And these drug dealers lived in like mansions um, and they were mainly dealing like weed, but like they were like, you could call them at a restaurant and they'd be outside, like kind of like DoorDash, but with drugs. So they ended up doing that. But like that, that was like, just it's, I don't know, Hollywood is so bizarre. And the more famous you are, the more immature you are. So that's where I came up with corny ass celebs. I kind of felt like they were so corny. Like they'd be like, oh, I know Robert De Niro and like name dropping and like being at a restaurant and like nobody paid. And then the manager would pay. Everything was felt so corny to me. I'm like, you're worth millions of dollars. Like, why are you like trying to get a free night stay? Like I, I just thought that I just think Hollywood is so corny in that way, but yeah, <laughs> that's where I got the. Character. I love it. No, and you're totally right. You have the people with uh, some of the most uh, so wealthy, right? So wealthy, and and they want free things. Where some of us are like, you know, we're just trying to pay for a date for two people, and. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, girl. I mean, there was times where I worked as a publicist and I was getting paid like I wasn't making a lot of money. But I had like Gucci stuff and I had like free iPads and computers and like at the Oscars, they'd get $100,000 worth of free stuff. And a lot of these celebrities are like, I don't want this Puma stuff. Take it all. Like they don't want a lot of the stuff. And it's so funny because I probably dressed and ate so well, but I really wasn't making financially Mm -hmm. a lot, but I was living very large. And that's very Hollywood. Everything is luxury at a distance. You know, I would go to the Emmys or the Oscars and I come home to my one bedroom apartment. You know, it's just. It's a very interesting kind of dichotomy. Or go to Michael B. Jordan's house with like six bedroom, and then I'd get in my car and drive home. Like it was just very, like you, it was very perplexing. Hollywood is just very random. I think that's why it's so fascinating, though, because you see the the lights and the glamour and the idea of what you think that whole life is about. And then now mm-hmm. that you have people coming out and speaking out and finally feeling comfortable in their own spaces to to tell us all of these different tidbits I guess and it's just like it almost takes away the mystique but for people like me I'm just like oh my gosh tell me more well I mean these things are it's really not that glamorous like I had a friend who worked as a massage therapist for Michael um not Michael uh for um Justin Bieber and he you know when you're if you're on a lot of drugs you can't get massaged because it's like kind of dangerous and so she was like well I can't like massage him he's on all these drugs and they were like you need to do it and like she literally felt so uncomfortable and she was like, this is not professional. And, you know, she had mentioned that to one of Justin's friends and then she was like fired. It was like the next day, like, get your shit. You're not on board, like get out. And that's the really scary thing. And then, you know, he became clean and stuff, but you're surrounded by people that are enabling you that are also a lot of times when you're a celebrity, you have like 10 to 15 people that you're not, that you're paying professionally, right? From assistants to managers to stylists. And then you have like friends, like people that are, hanger-ons that you take on trips like you become friends with them you pay for them you pay their house bill like so as a publicist like I would be paying people's rent for these clients you know and so that's a real thing so a lot of times when these people get clean or lose opportunities like or get conservatorship it affects all the people they're paying as well so it's all very it's, it's it can be very insidious it's very high school but if you have a good head on your shoulders, which I do, I think you can really navigate the space. And just to kind of end on this advice wise for anyone getting into Hollywood, whether it's being a manager or an assistant or wanting to be on camera, don't do drugs. 
And it sounds really cheesy because we say that in high school. Don't do drugs. Don't drink very much ever. Like at any networking event, always be very, very sober. Be very aware of what people are saying. If someone says, come to my house at 10 o'clock at night, it's not professional. So just be aware of what's happening and there's no free lunch. So if anyone says, I'm going to get you on TV for free, like don't trust that. It's a pretty, it can be a very dark place, but you just have to really be aware of what people's intentions are. Thank you. That's really good advice. It almost puts the show like it's like, oh, common sense, but common sense isn't so common. So um, sometimes you just need to hear it because we're so desperate for whatever it is that we want at any given time, any given point in time that um, hearing that somebody's going to put you on TV, it's almost like, oh my gosh, you know, a dream come true. Finally, this is my shot. And um, then we hear all of the tragic stories that we, you know, that come out. And so it ain't easy. So if it's too easy, be cognizant of that. Because everything I've accomplished has been blood, sweat, and tears. And everything that I will accomplish will be the same. And of course, as you know more people, things get easier. But it, it just, the idea that if someone had told me 10 years ago, oh, you're going to be on this and you can do that. It's like, I just wouldn't have trusted. Like, I just, you just need to be very aware. Definitely. No, very true. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. And, and with that, um, thank you so much for giving me your time and all of your amazing stories and commentary. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Would you like to tell everybody where they can find you? Yes. Thank you so much. It was such a fun conversation about, you know, race relations and queerness and Brittany and housewives. (laughs) So it was really, really great. Um, Yeah. So if you love Bravo, um, I interview, you know, Below Deck, Vanderpump Rules, uh, Housewives. I've had Jill Zarin on, um, on my podcast, The Take On. Um, which is everywhere you can listen to podcasts. So Apple, you know, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then also my Instagram is Amir Yas official and it's the same on TikTok. So come on over, have some fun. And it's been amazing. And yes! I love it. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I will definitely be tagging him on all of his platforms in the info box. And um, please go ahead and follow him. He is hilarious, but he's also so informative and, you know, you don't know where else to get your news from you. He will be sure all of the hot topics or, or uh, headlines. Uh, Amir will give it to you. So please go ahead and follow him. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next Wednesday. Don't forget to follow us at for real underscore for real pod. We're on Facebook at for real for real pod and email at for real pod at gmail.com. We have a live show coming up on July 17th. So don't forget to follow the pod fam. Um, Chingona wants to talk about it. Compas unfiltered, compuros compas, quack pa, and for real, for real. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, bye.